Becoming a mama is arguably the biggest role change someone will ever experience. And I'm speaking from firsthand experience myself, having gone through that last year. The occupation of motherhood is beautiful. It is exhausting. It can be chaotic, but ultimately it's amazing. And, you know, it's life-changing in so many ways, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, and of course, financially. But how exactly does becoming a mama change us as an OT when being an OT is such a big part of our identity? And what happens when we decide that we want to pause our career as an OT to pursue motherhood full time and stay at home and not work outside of the home? What do those sacrifices really look like? Today on the show, I'm joined by my very sweet friend, Allie Owen, who is an occupational therapist who has a heart for supporting the mother-baby dyad through her work, particularly in CFT, and officially, as of today, a mama of a one-year-old. That's right. I have to pause here really quick and just wish Allie's very sweet, beautiful little girl a very happy first birthday. Happy birthday, Em. And Allie, congratulations on your first year of motherhood. You've done gosh, an exceptional, an exceptionally beautiful job. And it's just been such a blessing to walk this path together since, you know, our babies are only a few weeks apart. So in this conversation, we are taking a deep dive into the occupation of motherhood and what it's like, particularly being stay-at-home OT mamas and the silent sacrifices that we've had to make to really make this dream that we have for our motherhood journey a reality. So if you're listening to this and you're an aspiring OT mama or a current OT mama who is thinking about how your career may be shifting or need to shift in order to accommodate for this new role and of course the financial implications that it may bring, then you are going to love this conversation. It's so fun. It's so just encompassing of everything it means to be an OT and be a mom and navigate this journey. So grab a snack, get cozy, and let's get into it. They say money makes the world go round, but when it comes to navigating the financial side of adulting, they kind of left us hanging. If you've ever caught yourself saying, why the heck didn't we learn any of this in school, then friend, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Miracle Money Podcast, a space dedicated to having the real, open, and honest conversations about money and finance that we never had in school, but we should have. I'm your host, Amira Kondali. I'm a pediatric occupational therapist turned personal finance enthusiast. And I'm here to help you manage your money with less stress, more joy, and a whole lot of confidence. Let's jump in. All right. I think it's safe to say that I speak for some, maybe not all, but definitely a good majority of mamas when sometimes, when I say that sometimes I think that motherhood can feel isolating. It can feel lonely, especially if you're staying home full-time or even honestly part-time with your baby. I've personally found that many of my relationships and my friendships have changed drastically, so much more than I imagined and something that I honestly wasn't super prepared for when I became a mom. But they say it takes a village to raise a baby. And I agree, but I also think it takes a village to support us as moms, especially if we're new moms, this is our first baby. So my next guest, the wonderful Allie Owens, is someone who I'm so, so grateful to have connected with over social media. Social media is such an amazing tool to bring people together, and I am so excited to have her on the show because I can truly say that she is part of my village as a mom, but particularly as a stay-at-home mom. So hi, Allie. How are you doing today? 
working so well. Thank you so much for having me. Um, like you said, it's been so wonderful to connect. Um, our babies are only a couple weeks apart, so it's been really cool to like virtually walk this journey with each other. Um, as our little ones have grown and, you know, it's good to vent to each other sometimes just when you need to vent about the four month sleep regression or, you know, whatever struggle we're going through. So I have definitely been grateful to have you as part of my virtual village. Um, especially since, you know, we're going through so much at the same time together. I love that. Yes. I am excited to have you here. And I actually forgot our babies are only a few weeks apart, maybe like what, two or three weeks. I think Morgan's beginning of the month and then uh, Jaden is like end of the month, right? Okay. Yeah. And he's the 17th. So yeah, I love that. It's so fun. Okay. I like to start these episodes with a little icebreaker. So my icebreaker question for you is, if you could describe your motherhood journey in only three words, what would they be? You were going to pick that one, weren't you? Um, <laughs> let's see. Humbling, sacrificial, and joyful. Those are so good. Wow. Wow. Yeah, Especially, I don't, you, I don't know if you can hear, but yeah. my little one is here joining me. Um, so you may hear her babbling a little bit in the background. <laughs> oh, we welcome it. The babbles, the giggles, the smiles. I love it. <laughs> okay. I especially love that you said sacrificial because that's the topic of today's episode. It's all about, we've had this conversation before and, and you actually said this line. You said there's sometimes these silent sacrifices that we make, especially as stay-at-home moms. So that's the topic of today's episode. And I'm so excited to just talk through the different, like what those sacrifices look like and how some sacrifices are maybe small ones or some are big ones, but ultimately they are supporting our ability to be able to stay home full-time with our babies. All right, Allie. So I know you because we talk I I think we talk like every single day almost at this point in some capacity (laughs) on Instagram. But for those listening who are not familiar with who you are, what you do, let's learn a little bit more about you and your background. So maybe start with where are you from and just what made you decide to pursue OT? Okay. So I am originally from Massachusetts, um, like an hour outside of Boston. And now I live in Southern New Hampshire. Um, I went to undergrad studying kinesiology, thinking I wanted to go physical therapy route. Um, and I feel like a lot of OTs that their personalities don't always fit with physical therapy. They realize when they're an undergrad and then I found OT and I decided to go to OT school. Um, I have kind of worked on polar opposite ends of the spectrum, if you will. I've worked with older adults and I've worked in peds. Um, always really had a heart for pediatrics. So I worked in outpatient peds for, uh, I don't know, COVID was in there. So things got confusing, but probably like three years total. Um, And I actually reached a point where I was finding that in outpatient setting, I couldn't treat kids to the fullest of my potential. And what I mean by that is I was having a lot of like emotional regulation kids and um, just like a lot of behaviors from picky eating to attention and all this stuff. And I have a nutrition background as well. I studied nutrition in undergrad and I just had a light bulb moment one day where I was like, you know what? There's no way I can help these kids with their regulation and their nervous system unless I'm addressing the nutrition piece of things. Because if they're coming to me dysregulated, 
because of whatever they ate throughout the day that is not nourishing for them, um, then anything I do in the outpatient setting is just a Band-Aid. Like it's not actually truly helping them long term. So I then decided to try to branch out on my own and um, start a business doing just that where I mesh nutrition with occupational therapy. And then I got pregnant and my energy was just not there to (laughs) commit to starting a business. Um, Fast forward a little while to when my daughter was born, she had pretty severe um, oral ties. We had cheek, lip and tongue. And I just found myself on the journey of releasing those and going through the body work and all the therapies that are revolving around those issues. And I decided that I had the skills to learn the body work myself. And I went and got trained in the Gillespie approach to craniosacral fascial therapy. And now I treat babies and help them with their tension, with their ties, like all that stuff. So that's like my roller coaster of a journey to get where I am now. So I still do a little bit of um, virtual nutrition, occupational therapy stuff, but also see a lot of um, babies in person and just help them with their tension. I feel like I just learned so much about you. I didn't know that you had a nutrition background, but that <laughs> makes so much sense because I remember seeing you yes. like talk about uh, prepping your postpartum meals. And I was like, where is she getting that from? Mm-hmm. Like, does she have like a book she's going off of? Makes so much sense. That's so cool. And I think it's funny when you said, and then I got pregnant because I feel like every great entrepreneurship or like business owner or OT branching off into a non-traditional path starts with, and then I got pregnant. It's something about just venturing into, (laughs) right, that new season of your life where you're experiencing pregnancy and birth and postpartum that really makes you want to immerse yourself in that world. And I found myself (laughs) in that exact same boat. But my question is, (laughs) I, I feel like a lot of people, okay, go into OT for like the flexibility. And I know that some women who go to OT are thinking to themselves, okay, when I have a baby, I'll be able to maybe step back from my career or work part-time. So I'm curious for you, when you decided you wanted to pursue OT, did you know, or did you have an idea of like, whenever I get pregnant, if that happens for me, I want to be a stay-at-home mom and that's why I'm pursuing this career? Mm. The short answer is no. Um, I went to OT school before my husband and I got together. Um, I think I, I was drawn to it because you hear that it's like a flexible career. So that was kind of always on my back burner. But it wasn't until I got together with my husband, we started talking about getting married, that we decided that I would eventually be a stay-at-home mom. Um, so... Yeah, that's kind of why I say the short answer is no. I didn't choose OT because I could be a stay-at-home mom and also be an OT or, you know, have some sort of um, OT job. But once we decided that I could potentially be a stay-at-home mom, I kind of made it a mission to figure out how I could still... And this is something that we can get into talking to because I think it's like a huge mindset shift on how can you still use your skills as an OT to be a stay-at-home mom, but also feel like you didn't waste your education and your brain. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And your money, because that's exactly how I felt. I was like, oh my gosh, if I decide (laughs) to stay at home with Jaden, then 
essentially I'm wasting all of this money that I spent on this degree. And you're, I think you were like one of the yep. first people I talked to about that feeling when I was still battling. It took me about mm-hmm. two months to figure out, do I want to go back to work or do I want to stay home full time and maybe do something else on the side, but primarily stay home and raise him full time. And that was definitely one of the things that I think you and I connected on is realizing that you do have to shift your mindset away from thinking that you're wasting anything because you're not like you have gained all of those skills and those tools and resources. And I think that helps us as we like do everything with our babies. Like who better, I feel like to raise a baby than an OT. Like we have all of the knowledge, right? So (laughs) did, how did you, I guess go, I want to dig deeper into how you changed your mindset to stop feeling like, um, wasting my degree or wasting my skills or money. Yeah. Um, I, like you said, we definitely talked about that battle, that mental battle, because, you know, I feel like unless you're doing what OT school tells you you can do as an OT, because they don't tell you about these non-clinical careers or, you know, how to start your own business or anything like that. It's just like, oh, you're going to work in inpatient or outpatient or home care. And that's like the impression that you get have when you leave OT school. Um, so I feel like once I think it helps that I stopped working in a clinic before I became a mom, honestly, because I had already educated myself a little bit about other things that I could do. I think it would have been harder because I worked four 10 hour days in outpatient, which is like not sustainable at all. Um, I don't think if you have a family, um, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but I didn't go from that to having a baby. Like I had that intermediary transition. Um, so I just, I feel like I just did a lot of educating myself on, okay, how can I use my skill set to feel like I didn't waste two years and all that money in school and, um, still help people. Right. Cause like, I don't know an OT that goes to OT school that doesn't want to help people. Like we're a helping profession. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really why those are my two, I think, driving factors, like how can I still help people and how can I use my skill set? And I think, like you said, our skill set and our mindset as OTs makes us really good moms because we understand development. We understand behavior. Um, you know, even if you don't work in feeding, there's a lot about feeding and sensory that you understand just being an OT. And I think reminding myself too, which I did a lot working in the clinic and interacting with parents you just realize how much you know that other people don't know, whether it's about development or um, behaviors or whatever it is. Because OT school trains us to like think like an OT and have an OT lens, it's just how we view the world now. So I reminded myself a lot about that. Like OT school changed my mindset and my brain on how I view the world. And that's just kind of how I've approached motherhood and starting a business and helping other people. And I think reminding myself of that helps me realize that I didn't waste my education. <laughs> okay. I'm going off of our little outline here because you just said something, how yes. OT trains us to think about the world in different ways, including motherhood, right? Like we think about motherhood so differently. So yeah, do you kind of feel like it's a double-edged sword in that 
you have all of this knowledge and you're looking like, okay, my baby's doing amazing and great. But do you ever also feel like it heightens your like, I don't know, your sense of development or sensory? Like, do you ever look at your baby and you're like, oh my gosh, you're not doing X, Y, and Z at this time? Because I feel like I struggle with that a lot (laughs) as a mom who's also an OT. Yes. That like separation of church and state, right? Like separate your mom brain from your OT brain. It can be very hard. Um, I know you joke all the time about like having an OT husband, um, which makes yes. me chuckle because I also joke about that in like my personal life with my husband. Um, honestly, he kind of keeps me on track. He's like, Hey, she's fine. She's developing great. And I'm like, Oh, okay. You're right. You're right. Stop freaking out. Um, but I mean, I think. The comparison trap is what we deal with as moms just in general and then add our lens about development into the mix. And it's just like you can kind of spiral and go crazy. Um, So I don't know. I think I try to tell myself the stereotypical like every baby develops on their own timeline as long as like I can use my skill set to help her build skills. I freak out less. I'm like, okay. (laughs) She's not rolling at X, Y, and Z time, right? What can I do to help her roll? And then that's kind of how I mesh the two together. Like if I'm freaking out about something, what can I do to enhance her development and stop freaking out about it? <laughs> I mean, we're problem solvers, right? OTs are problem solvers. Yes, we are problem solvers. And I think that does serve us so well in motherhood because like you said, we can identify quickly if there is a problem. Just like with your own little one, you noticed, you know, the significant oral ties and things like that. And then you knew, okay, these are the solutions. So I think that has helped, you know, me too, just being personal about being able to identify, okay, Jaden is, you know, tight in this area of his body. Like, what is it that we can do? Can we try some body work? And so I think that it, yep. it does give me a level of peace of mind. And I feel like the peace of mind that I get as being an OT who's a mama definitely outweighs the stress and the anxiety that that knowledge, you know, that I have, how much of that is prevalent, Absolutely. In, you know, in my life. So, okay. You said yeah. earlier, I like this. You were like, it was easy for you to kind of shift gears into being a stay-at-home mom because you had this transition period. And I think I want to pause here and talk about this because I realized I actually had the same thing. So when I found out I was pregnant, I had just went through a really rough time just in life in general. And I knew I needed to take some step back from my early intervention position to just kind of heal, talk to a therapist, like just do some mental work that really, really needed to be done. And so I decided to cut back my hours at work. And so I went from working full-time, multiple regions to only being in like one or two regions. Actually, I was only in one region and I um, only worked part-time. And I think you're exactly right because I didn't go from working full-time crazy hours and then being like, okay, now I'm just going to be a stay-at-home mom. I think that transition period really, really actually helped a lot. So I guess that would be like one of my first tips for any mom who is an OT who already Mm -hmm. knows that like you want to be a stay-at-home mom, either full-time or part-time to try and like cut back maybe some hours while you're still pregnant. If obviously financially you're in the position to do that, because I do think it helps, you know, ease that transition. What would you say, Allie, help with that transition period? Yeah. um, I would agree completely with what you said. I think taking that step back, whatever that looks like for somebody, whether it's less hours or picking up a different job that's part-time. I know a lot of, I know a lot of OTs that, um, will get a school position, um, just because like that schedule is more flexible. Um, so 
yeah, I completely agree with you there. Um, I wouldn't necessarily advise everybody to do what I did, but I was, I don't know. There was lots, there was lots going on, lots mm-hmm. of moving pieces to, um, why my story went the way it did. But, um, like you said, it, it does come down to, can you financially do that though? And my husband and I had a conversation before, um, I stopped working at the clinic about if if we could handle that like can we survive on one income while i try to either build a business or find a new job that is more flexible um because i also don't think if i had stayed at my job it would have been welcomed to cut down my hours um it was kind of you work four 10 hour days or you like there was no per diem after school hours like you see at some outpatient clinics. So just logistically, I don't think it would have been an option for me. But um, we did, like you talk about all the time, make a lot of sacrifices in our personal life to live off of one income while we figured things out. Okay. Yeah. And I think those conversations, they have to be had. Like I know Mozzie and I had oh my gosh, so many conversations about what is this realistically going to look like with you not working, you not bringing in an income, especially with what at the time we thought that student loans, you were going to have to start paying those. Like, Of course, we still have a little bit of time left before we have to start paying them. But that was like a big conversation for us was like student loans, retirement, like what is that going to look like? So I mean, those conversations with your spouse mm-hmm. or your partner are, I think, so crucial to being able to be a stay-at-home mom because like there's a lot of moving parts, like you said, and finances is is huge. Like we need money to live. We need money to sustain ourselves. But you know, the topic of this episode is really about what do some of those sacrifices look like? So I know you talked about, you know, the conversations that you had, can I, can we realistically live off one income? But what do you think have been some of your like biggest lifestyle or financial adjustments that you've had to make in order for this to work for your family? I laugh because I feel like there's this no matter what your like career or title is OT or not i feel like there's this mindset of if you can be a stay at home mom like you're so lucky or you're so privileged mm-hmm. or like whatever insert term you want to insert and we make a lot of sacrifices um just for example this was the case before um me leaving my job and being a stay at home mom and all of that but we own a duplex and we live in one side and rent out the other. Um, so we like, it's called house hacking. House hacking. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not ideal. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's not ideal at all. Um, I mean, like our tenant is great and we've had great tenants in the past. Um, but I don't know. It's like 895 square feet. It's tiny. Um, especially now that we've added a baby and we've added a dog. Um, and it, but like we're not like we have some friends that live in these you know four bed three bath nice houses with three acres of land and um and that's great for them but that's not that wouldn't be possible for us right now because um i mean my husband has a great job and um we're very lucky in that respect um so we can still save and um you know have some money for spending it's not like all of our money goes towards our house or anything like that. So we're very lucky there, but it's a big sacrifice to like not have your own home that you don't have to share with a tenant and you don't have a lot of space. Um, I'd say that's definitely our biggest sacrifice, but it is nice because our tenants rent essentially covers our mortgage. 
Um, so we don't have that big expense, which is a huge saver for us. And, you know, every time we look for houses, we both have to remind ourselves of that. Like, hey, if we, and we also bought it before COVID when mortgage rates were lower. Um, so, you know, moving is not really in the cards as we outgrow this house, which is a hard pill to swallow sometimes. Um, and the cost of living in New England is outrageous. Um, so that's our biggest sacrifice. We also both drive like very reasonable cars. We both have Toyotas. Um, so they're reliable. We never really have to do much work to them. They run for forever. Um, so that's really, really nice. Um, I'm trying to think like those are the two biggest sacrifices that definitely come to mind when we had all these conversations and, you know, a lot of it comes down to, okay, like we can't move anytime in the near future. Um, just as we like adapt and figure out our next steps, I guess. And I think you highlighted the two biggest life expenses that we usually have per month. Anyways, it's mortgage, rent, car notes, like those are the Mm -hmm. biggest bills. So I think you like bring up a good point of identifying what are your biggest expenses per month and then how can you lower those? Because a lot of times, especially in the personal finance world, it's stop buying coffee or like go to Target less or whatever. And it's like those small things, like of course, not to say they don't add up over time, but that's not going, that's not what's going to be the thing that like is the be all end all for you is like your $5 Starbucks every other day. Like that's not it. It's really looking at those larger expenses. And so it's interesting, Allie, because for us, we are the exact opposite. So (laughs) our basic, our biggest expense was rent. And we we decided that I wanted to stay home. Like, what can we do? We were like, we got to tackle this rent. And so we ended up going into um, traveling positions for my husband's work. And so like you said, we can't move. For us, it's the exact opposite. It's that we have to move. We have to keep moving so that he can yeah. keep finding hospitals where he's going to be able to make the amount that he needs to make without being gone all the time. That was the big thing for us. We could have stayed where we were, but he would have had to up his weekly hours by 15, 20 hours in order to like, you know, sustain um, our cost of living. And like that, just we just can't do that. I can't have him gone for 65 hours mm-hmm. a week, like on my own. So for us, it's yeah. constantly having to move and not being able to put down roots. And that's been really hard. Like technically we don't have a home address. We actually have like a digital, like virtual address because we don't have roots. We are living in and out of Airbnbs right now. Um, And so I think, you know, that just highlights Mm. how different our stories are, but at the root of it, why are we doing this so that we're able to stay home and, you know, be with our babies and the sacrifices that we make. So um, it's, it, I think like, I love this conversation because I feel like it needs to be had more. Like you said, people are like, oh, you stay at home. You must, you know, be whatever. People say things. I don't even want to say what to say, but people say a lot of things, right. you know, about well, who you <laughs> or whatever. And it's like, it doesn't come down to that. It really comes down right. to the sacrifices no. that we've agreed to make. Right. So I mentioned Absolutely. earlier, we have to navigate paying back student loans. So I'm interested because for a lot of OTs, we are in some kind of debt. It doesn't matter if it's a little bit or a lot of it, <laughs> but if you're comfortable sharing, what is your kind of plan now that the student loan payments are resuming soon? How are you planning to navigate paying that since you aren't earning like regular income at a full-time position? So my student loan is privatized. So I have never had a break in paying. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Yes. <laughs> 
Yes. Um, so I don't remember exactly when I did it. Um, I don't, I don't remember when or why. And so I can't really speak to that, but either way, it's through like a private company. Um, I had, I think I could apply for forbearance when I, when the clinic I was working at, when COVID's hit, when that shut down. So I think I had like a three month break from paying. Um, but either way to like actually answer your question, because I've always had to pay it, we've just kind of adapted. Um, so before when I was working, we saved a hundred percent of my husband's income and then we used my income for expenses. And then whatever was left over after expenses, we either used as like just money that we could spend or save that as well. Um, so my husband works in sales and he, depending on like what his quarter looks like, he'll get varying rates of commissions. Mm -hmm. Um, so we've kind of adapted to using his commissions. Like we used my income, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's kind of how we've personally adapted. That's obviously not going to work for everybody because not everybody's husband like gets commissions and can be in control. Like he can kind of control how much more he makes each quarter based on his commission plan and structure. Um, but yeah, I just, I think we've just figured out how to adapt because I've had to pay it the whole time. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. That's probably not super helpful <laughs> to your question. No, it is. But. <laughs> It's perfect because I think <laughs> adapting, right? Like figuring it out as you go. That's like my tagline for motherhood is I literally just figure it out as I go. And I think mm -hmm. when it comes mm -hmm. to student loans, I think first of all, having a plan for listeners out there, initially having a plan for your student loans is always going to trump everything that I ever say. So like I always say, yes. whether it takes you five years or 25 years to pay off your loans, I really don't care. But you just have to have a plan. And so even if you are thinking about being a stay-at-home mom or you're not, like you just have to have a plan for your student loans. And I think when you have have that plan, it's so much easier to adjust it because that's been our situation. We've always had a plan for our student loans and we're just having to adjust it a little bit. So adjust the um, the payment, the, how much we're putting on it, or adjust the type of plan that we're on, how long it's going to take us, exploring options like refinancing and consolidation, things like that. So when you have that like foundational uh, plan for your student loans, it's a lot easier to tweak it as you go when you come into situations like this. So that would, I think, be my huge piece of advice for any mamas who are like, but I have student loans. It's like, well, what's your plan in general for your student loans? And then how can we tweak that and adjust it? Um, you know, there's so many different types of Absolutely. payment plans, you know, that you can be on now. So as long as you're, I always say, as long as you are covering that minimum, so your balance isn't increasing, that's our focus right now is making sure that my balance isn't increased. And then we are aggressive paying off hubby's loans first, keeping mine kind of where they are, and then we'll tackle mine later. <laughs> so that's like our plan. Yeah. Um, one thing I didn't say too on that, I know you mentioned a little while ago, like it's the big expenses that matter in the, like that make the most impact. But the other thing that we've also done in terms of that adaptability is we have cut out a lot of the extraneous expenses, right? Like I was never a person, even like when I was going to the clinic, I didn't like stop at the coffee shop every day and like get a coffee on the way to work. Um, but those are some of the sacrifices and like things that we've cut back on as well. It's like, okay, like, do we need to buy new sneakers this year or can it wait another year? 
Um, like, no, it's not, not a huge amount of money, but like $30 here, $50 here, $70, like that all adds up too. Right. Mm -hmm. So really being mindful. And I'm not perfect about this all the time. Sometimes stuff will show up and my husband will be like, what the heck did you order now? And I'm like, oh, baby clothes. I don't know. (laughs) Baby stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but, but I think like keeping that in mind too, like, yes, you're focused on the big expenses, like student loans and rent and car payments and all of that. But if you're not also focusing on those little things that add up, then you're doing yourself a disservice. So where can you figure out like a couple years ago, we invested in a really nice coffee machine. We waited until Black Friday. So we saved money on that. But now we never really buy coffee out and we just make it at home. And like, it's definitely earned its worth in of the initial investment. So that's what we think about too. What does my husband say? What's his tagline? It's like, buy once, cry once, I think is what he says. So if we, (laughs) so if we're thinking about getting something and like we're hemming and hawing and, you know, just get the either highest quality or a really good quality item, whatever it is that you're thinking of, and like know that you're not going to need to replace it all the time and spend more money overall. Um, so that, that drives a lot of our decisions too. Okay. I think you bring up a good (laughs) point because you're highlighting the fact that it's more so about, Yes, things add up over time, but it's also a mindset sh- shift that you have to go through when you decide to cut back to one income. It's like you have to know that you can't do this frivolous shopping. You can't have these small expenses because over time mm-hmm. they add up. And so I think just overall our mindset about money, I know mine has changed so much from the time I was, you know, a teenager to like my mid my I don't know, early 20s, like college years, like whatever. So over time, my experiences with money have changed and they've shaped the way that I've thought about money. And so I think you bring up a really good point in highlighting, yes, of course, focus on those big expenses, but also by focusing on the small expenses too, I think you'll be able to shift your mindset and think about money in a different way. So I know for me, like my mindset has shifted so much since becoming a mom. So do you feel like your perspective on you know money and personal finance topics, have they changed? since becoming a mom? And if so, how? Again, I'm laughing because sometimes I feel like you're in my brain without actually being in my brain. Um, (laughs) I am a vastly different person than I was growing up. Um, And I say that for a lot of reasons, but my money mindset has been one of the things that has changed most drastically. So not just since motherhood, but since like growing up high school, college, really until I met my husband, um, he grew up in a very money conscious household. I mean, he got stocks for his fifth birthday that have been invested for 25 ish years. Um, I never grew up understanding much about money. I didn't grow up understanding how to really save money, never grew up understanding investing money. Like I still don't fully understand my mother-in-law like invests my accounts and I just give it to her to do. Mm-hmm. Um but <laughs> it things are vastly different. So I don't even know if I can like fully answer your question just because so much of it has been a journey that's been led by my husband and his family and how knowledgeable they are about being money conscious and investing because I didn't grow up with that knowledge at all. It actually was a point of contention when we first got together because I was like, why is your family so focused on money all the time? Like this isn't healthy. And then now that I'm 
part of the family and like we have these conversations, I'm like, I'm so grateful that you've gotten me to this point. And I'm so grateful that you had all this knowledge, you know, before we were ever together because not that we've never fought about money, but it's been such an easier conversation because he's had the knowledge this whole time. Um, it's not like we were both like struggling for air and like in a bunch of debt and all this stuff when we got together. Um, he luckily has no student debt. So that also makes our life easier that it's just me. Um, which I know is not everybody's situation at all. So I guess I can, you know, shout out my in-laws for, (laughs) for that. Um, but it's just, it's been such a wild journey for me to not, to go from a place where, you know, I just, I didn't think about spending money. I didn't think twice about spending money and I didn't invest and I didn't know any better. Um, so I don't know. That doesn't really answer your question, but that's just been like my wild journey of going from not knowing anything to being in a place where I can stay home. Like it's just mm-hmm. so wildly different. I can't wrap my mind around it sometimes on like how far my mindset has grown on it all. No, you absolutely answered my question to be clear. I think you point out the fact that <laughs> okay. you are you are still on your money journey and that's okay. Like I feel like sometimes people feel like, oh, you have to get to a certain point. It's like, I've arrived. I know everything there is to know. Oh my gosh, no, not at all. <laughs> like not even me, you know, and I immerse myself into the personal finance world and I feel like I know, you know, way more than I did in the past, but I'm still learning things myself. So now like my focus is figuring out, mm-hmm. well, I know a little bit about investing for myself, but now I have to think about investing for my child. And how can I give Jaden stocks when he's five years right. old? Like, you know, so it's all of these different <laughs> things that you don't know until you're like immersed in this season of your life. And I think too, by you being so, you know, conscious about the sacrifices that your family and that you are making in order to stay home with your baby, you're highlighting, you know, I guess that you are still on this journey, but you have a different why. Like maybe your why before learning about money was totally different before your baby came into the picture. And now it's like, you know what? No, I really want to learn about this so that I can set my baby up for the future. You know what I mean? So I think, I think, you know, we're the same in Mm -hmm. that way. Okay. So you touched on this at the beginning, how you are exploring some different things that you are passionate about. And I wanted to make sure we talk about this because I think there's also this misconception that when you kind of identify yourself as a stay-at-home mama, you don't do anything else. Like you are home with the baby, Mm. you're a homemaker. But I think it's important to note that we can be stay-at-home mamas and still pursue the things that light us up that we're passionate about. And sometimes even you can make a little extra money on the side and that's amazing. So I want to talk to you about kind of... I guess first starting off with when you became a mom, I know we've talked about this before, but you kind of had this, have this new interest now in supporting other moms in different areas of, you know, pregnancy, Mm -hmm. birth, postpartum, things like that. So tell me a little bit about your interest in kind of these non-traditional or non-clinical paths in OT. I think it started, um, honestly in 2020 when I was between outpatient clinics, um, And I just, I came across the fact that OT was growing in the women's health space in general, whether that was pelvic health or, um, 
postpartum or, you know, what, whatever that looked like, I was like, oh, like OTs work in women's health. Like I had no idea. And, um, I was just really intrigued by it. So I learned a lot. Um, just, you know, followed different accounts on Facebook, Instagram, whatever. Um, and just learned like how uniquely suited the OT brain is to help this population. Like what bigger role change, if we want to talk about like the OTPF and roles <laughs> and habits and routines, what bigger role change in life do you have than becoming a mom? So true. So I I think I was just so interested in it and I never really did anything about it. I just, you know, like it's kind of one of those like in secret things. You like go to mm-hmm. work in the clinic, but when you come home, you like read all these articles about, you know, OT and lactation and OT and, um, you know, in the initial postpartum period and all of that. And it was just always, always there, always brewing. And then once I became a mom, I was like, enough, enough of this other stuff. <laughs> like mom, moms need OTs. Like they're just, it's needed. It's like, it comes down to, you don't even see OT in the hospital when you have a C-section. Like it's just, it's baffling to me how occupational therapists are not part of a mom's team before, during, after pregnancy. So there's a couple local providers. Like I, one of my best friends is a pelvic floor OT and we're constantly trying to figure out like, how do we do groups and how do we help people (laughs) and how do we provide this education? Because it's so needed. And I was just, I was very grateful that I had the knowledge going into pregnancy and postpartum um, on how to adapt to that big role change. But I come across so many mamas who just, they don't know what resources are there for them and they don't know who to like reach out to for support and they don't know how to look for groups like the phenomenal groups it looks like you go to. I don't think those are everywhere, but like... Mm -hmm. I just, I don't even think moms know what to look for. Um, So yeah, getting pregnant and having my daughter just like ignited that fire that had been brewing for a couple years in me. And I was like, I, I don't know exactly how, but I need to work and help with this population. Because as a mama, it's like, you don't really know what you need. So you don't know what you're, what to look for. I have so many who are like, what are those groups you attend? And like, what do you get out of them? And you know, where are they? And it's like, there, there's such a huge gap that needs to be filled to support moms and babies in this diet in general, like across the board (laughs) between pregnancy, Mm -hmm. birth and postpartum, because I just feel like our country has a lot of work to do in that area, but I feel like that's a soapbox I could get on. I'm not going to do that to myself today. (laughs) But So I love, pause though. Okay. Okay. Just so not to get you on your soapbox, but pause on, do you think it has something to do with the fact that women are just like immediately pushed to go back to work? Because I do. Yes. See, like a thousand percent. They don't like not everybody can stay at home. I get that. But there's something different about how a mom is able to structure her day and seek out support if she doesn't need to go back to work right away. Mm-hmm. And it like it, I just remember like, um, I know maternity leave is different in every state across the country, but I just remember reaching the point like where I would have had to go back to work in my state. And I was like, I, how, how do people do this? I was like actively nursing her to sleep in the middle of the day. And, you know, like after I attended my postpartum group in the morning and I was just like, how, 
I don't know. I, I feel like that's such a big component of it too. It that's is a bigger problem that we can't fix <laughs> from this podcast. I'm, I wish. <laughs> I wish we had the resources <laughs> to fix that. But I mean, six yes. like this six to 12 weeks, I think about where I was at six weeks postpartum and even 12 weeks postpartum. I There was no way that like I could show up for my clients and my patients and the kids that I saw. I could no. really show up for myself, Allie. So it it's a huge problem, I think, where mamas are forced, not forced, but, you know, pushed into going back into work and then going into a demanding career like OT. Because let's be real, it is extremely demanding what we do and how much of just our mental load and like compassion fatigue and burnout and all of these things that you're contending with at your job. And you got to go home and contend with the balance of, you know, maybe you're still a partner or a spouse or, you know, you have your baby. Like there's so many balls that you're juggling and it is either way, it is hard. (laughs) This motherhood thing is hard. It is. I said to somebody earlier today, we were, uh, we were talking about just like our babies are very close in age and we were talking about just similar struggles. And I was like, Hey, like, don't try to do motherhood alone. Like I'm here for you. The community's here for you. Like you have people. We're not meant to do it alone. We can't. (laughs) No, no, not at all. Uh, I feel like we could keep talking about this for a really long time, but I think both of our babies will probably need us at some point. (laughs) I think they're both sleeping right now. So (laughs) we're going to try to wrap it up. But okay. So tell me, okay, going back to the non-traditional path that you've chosen, I don't know if you've really explicitly stated Mm -hmm. like what it is that you do, but for those curious, what it, what area that you are in right now, if you could share a little bit about that. For sure. Um, so I do like a little bit of a lot of things. Um, I have a handful of online services that I offer, um, mainly focused on pre and postnatal nutrition for mama and just like helping. I think I had a, I want, I don't want to say pleasant postpartum is not pleasant, but like I truly had a smooth postpartum experience. And I largely think that is because of the preparation and the nourishment I provided for myself ahead of time. I had a really hard pregnancy where I had um, aversions to just about every food, but I prepared a lot of nourishing foods to eat postpartum to like replenish everything that she was stealing from me (laughs) my entire pregnancy. And I think like I had such a fantastic experience nourishing myself that I wanted to at least help as many moms as I possibly could reach have that for themselves as well. Because frankly, nobody talks much about mom in the postpartum period. You know, maybe you have a six week appointment, maybe your doctor tells you you're cleared for all the things. But if you don't like, <laughs> if you don't feel your best, they don't help you. Um, So I'm super passionate about that because moms deserve to feel well and they deserve to feel nourished and energetic to take care of their humans they created. Um, But then I also have kind of a a special heart for um, like infant nutrition, toddler nutrition, picky eating, like all of that. Um, And that's, you know, that's where I've used that nutrition piece of my knowledge with those populations. Um, so those are usually virtual services, any local families, I can work on them, um, work on that stuff with them in person. If 
I'm already seeing them in person for something else. And that something else is usually what I mentioned at the beginning, CFT, um, Gillespie approach. It stands for craniosacral fascial therapy. Um, I could talk about that all day long. Um, probably would be an entirely (laughs) separate podcast, but I am very, very passionate about CFT. It combines craniosacral therapy with myofascial release techniques. And it's just, when we're in the training, they tell us for a lot of people, it's that like missing piece of their health. Because if we're carrying fascial tension in our body, then our, then whatever that tension is around doesn't function optimally. So for a lot of babies, if that tension is around their organs and their digestive system, you have like the babies who can't pass gas and the babies who are super refluxy and sit up all the time. And that's just like, you know, you go to your pediatrician and unless you have a really good pediatrician, they're going to be like, oh, baby, spit up. That's normal. Yes. <laughs> but it, it, just because it's common doesn't mean it's normal. So, um, you know, I just I'm super passionate about helping parents understand that like their baby doesn't need to be miserable. They don't need to be this like ball of tension that doesn't feel comfortable in their skin. Um, a lot of it comes down to stuff that maybe happened during pregnancy or birth. but I never like to focus on that because you can't change that once it's happened, right? Like you had an emergency C-section, you had an emergency C-section. How can we help your baby Mm -hmm. function optimally now that they're here? Um, So for that, I do a lot of home visits and I I do the craniosacral fascial therapy on the babies, sometimes on the moms as well, because it really impacts the nervous system too. And if baby's nervous system's off, mom's nervous system is off. If your baby's not happy, you're not happy. So I also really like to help address the moms. I'm grateful there's another PT in my area who's also trained in CFT. So we do a lot of events together, which I love. And we can really work on mom and baby. And we just have such good feedback from those events. Um, And yeah, babies are just, they're different. Whether or not like a baby has ties or gets ties released, that's definitely part of my journey and part of my knowledge. But I've also helped so many babies either avoid a release or end up not needing it because it's not a tie. It's just fascia and it's just tension. Um, so yeah, I work a lot with, um, lactation consultants and dentists and chiropractors and have a good like building referral network where we kind of all work as a team to help the babies in our area. Um, and I don't know, I just love it so much more than everything I've ever done as an OT. (laughs) I can tell. I love I love just like watching your face light up when you talk about this stuff. And I know I've learned <laughs> so much from you. I think one of the first things I learned from you that I was like, oh my gosh, and you opened my eyes, it was babies falling asleep with their mouth open. And you posted something about that. And I was like, okay, wait, Jada does that all the time. Like, <laughs> Allie, help me out. And it was, you know, it's just like, like we said, <laughs> you don't know what you don't know when it comes to motherhood. And then you Absolutely. have this lens as an OT. And now you have this lens as an OT who's also, you know, has your nutritionist background, your CFT background. And I think the way that you have approached motherhood has just been so phenomenal because you're not only focusing on the baby, you're also focusing on the mom. And that's like the whole key. That's like the missing link. I think that we just need more services to support mamas because it really starts with us and our regulation, you know, and, mm. and how we feel. So I love that. You're doing such amazing you're things. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> Stop it. I know. I'm so Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Just to summarize, you know, this episode, we've talked about a lot of different things, which has been so fun and, you know, highlighting 
the the aspect of being a stay-at-home mom and the sacrifices that it takes, but also the fact that you can still pursue things that you're passionate about. So my question for you is to the OT mama who's listening and who wants to stay home full time, but isn't sure how to make it work financially, what would your biggest tips or, or piece of advice, what would that be? Um, decide what area of OT lights you up and pursue that. Because I fully believe that you cannot function your best if you don't feel like you're thriving. And I guess what I mean by that is like, don't feel like you have to stay in a job that you don't love. Like some, like acute care is the perfect fit for some OTs. It was not for me at all. But like, if I had the mindset of, I need to do this because I can make the most money in this acute care setting at this hospital, I would not be happy. And like, then I would not be my best self for my family at home. And, um, that was just super important to me. Like if, if I can't be my best self at home because of whatever is happening in my job, then it's not the right job. It's not the right fit. And I've had a lot of different, I mean, I've been an OT for, oh, math, I don't know, five, six years. Um, (laughs) but like, Throughout those years, like I've done so many different things. And I think that's the beauty of OT that a lot of other people don't have the luxury of is you can do so many things with your degree and your knowledge. And if you're not happy, go find something that will make you happy. You can still be an OT. Um, and I think that's the biggest, we talked about mindset a lot in our conversation, but I think that's the biggest thing to drive home is don't feel like you're not an OT unless like, if you only feel like you're an OT, unless you're working in the fields that you learned about in OT school, that's, that's not all OT is. I don't, I don't really know why OT school doesn't teach us what else we can do with our knowledge and our degree. Maybe they do now. I don't know. They didn't when I was in school, but, um, like if you're not happy, find OTs that are doing things in areas that interest you. Um, whether that's, mental health, whether it's maternal health, whether it's, you know, specifically stroke rehab or hand therapy, whatever it is, if you're interested in it, make those connections, network with people, figure out how you can make that your reality, because this is too incredible of a profession for us to not be happy with what we're doing. And there's so many options that we can pursue and find there's no need to be unhappy in a job just because you're making money. Like you can still make money doing something else. You may have to shift your mindset and your um, priorities a little bit if it's less money than you were making before. But I I personally think your happiness is more important. Oh, absolutely. I got chills. Function your best (laughs) if you're not happy. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I got chills when you were like, OT is too beautiful of a career to not be happy because I can't tell you how many OT, OTPs, you know, OT, OTA, how many of us are yeah. saying that we are unhappy with our jobs? And it's like, you can forge a new path for yourself because OT, yeah. occupation, it's anything that occupies our time. Like that's that literally covers every mm-hmm. single thing that you could possibly think of. And motherhood is an yeah. occupation. And so if you are entering that season of your life and you want to support moms or babies or moms and babies, like there's so much that you can do with it. And I think, you know, having on the podcast just really highlights the fact that you can juggle being home with your baby while also still forging a path for yourself as an OT and also making money from it. So I think perfect. Perfectly said, Ali. I don't have anything else to add. 
<laughs> so to wrap up, I just want to do my quick, fun, money, rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Oh, gosh. Okay. First, first thing that comes to mind, okay? Are these in the outline and I didn't read them? No, they're a surprise. <laughs> oh, shoot. Okay. It's okay. They're easy. Okay. First thing. If okay. OT didn't exist and money was no object, what career would you choose? That's really hard. I don't know. Uh, can I just like be a stay-at-home mom that doesn't work at anything else? Go for it. <laughs> Stay home um, with the baby. I don't know. I feel like it would... I, I, maybe I'd pick world traveler as an occupation. Okay. I like that. Just like see everything. <laughs> okay. Okay. Second question. If $500 was deposited right now into your Amazon account, what are the first three things you'd buy? Oh, a play couch for my daughter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's starting to climb on everything and I don't want to pay for one. Um. It, like that or like one of those climber things probably a swing set mm. can you buy those on amazon everything's on amazon <laughs> okay all right so swing set and then honestly probably a new espresso machine because we've had ours for a while and it's still working but my husband's like really into making espresso so probably like a fancier espresso machine I don't know if those things would be more than the amount you gave me, but those are probably those are probably the three things I would choose. Okay, perfect. And last question is: If your favorite restaurant gave you a year's worth of free food, what would you be eating? Ooh, I have a funny, quick side story okay. related to this question. <laughs> we got married during we got married during COVID. Um, So we had a May 2020 wedding planned and then COVID happened and we had to shift gears. We only had like our immediate family there, but we had deposits for like all of our vendors. Um, And our baker gave us half our money back and half in store credit. And I was like, this is the best deal ever because now we don't have to pay for cupcakes or cakes for like years. And then we get half our money back. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it was great. So your question just made me think of that. But what I would eat from my favorite restaurant, um, honestly, probably chicken parm. It's like mm. always, always slaps. I could eat that all the time. Or mm, yeah, mm, or a really good steak. I don't know. I love Ooh. food. This is why pregnancy was so hard for me because I couldn't eat. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I feel that. Chicken parm. I think that is a solid answer. I think I want that for okay. dinner tonight. Chicken parm. Ooh, that's what I'm having for dinner tonight. Look at I that. I'm gonna enjoy. All right, this has been such a fun episode. Oh my goodness, I feel like we talked about so many things that we are both super passionate about, and I don't know, Allie, this might be like one of my top three favorite episodes so far. Hey, where can people get in touch with you online if they're interested in your services, anything like that? What's your contact information? Yeah. Um, so my Instagram is just at live freely nourished. Um, there's a really cool story behind why I named my business that, but I don't need to go into that. Um, cause it's kind of a long story, but it's on my <laughs> website, which is also live freely Um, so yeah, I'd love to connect with more moms either about this or about any of my services. Um, you know, I just like, we've 
like we've talked about, I'm just really passionate about this area. And thank you so much for having me on so we could have this conversation. I know it's been a long time in the plans. So (laughs) I'm one, very excited for you and your podcast and two, even more excited that you had me on it and we had to, we got to have this conversation. So thank you. You are the sweetest. Thank you so much for being here today. And I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day and your weekend. It's Friday. It is Friday. Happy Friday. You too. Bye. Hey, friend. Before you go, there's a few things I want to remind you about. Make sure you're subscribed to the show so you never miss an episode. And if you like what you heard, please take a few moments to leave a review. They seriously make my heart happy. Lastly, don't forget to check the show notes for additional resources, links, and maybe even some freebies. All right, that's all I've got. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. I'll catch you in the next one. And as always, don't forget to make it a marvelous day.